Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for spending your Wednesday evening with the Women's Leadership Committee, the Young Leaders Committee, and our amazing um, three panelists that we have here this evening. My name is Chelsea Flame, and I am fortunate to be your moderator. So thank you for having me. I work for CBRE um, on the Deutsche Bank account, helping with change management for their New York relocation. Um, a few quick items. We have, the Young Leaders Committee also has an event coming up on November 30th about the wellness, um, about Wellness Utopia. And it's run by a couple excellent um, people from the architecture and design world. So we would love for some, to see some of your faces there. Uh, November 30th, it's in the email blast that went out on Monday if you're interested. And then for this event, um, we are um, monitoring the chat and we will be looking at questions and Julie will be jumping in with any good questions or comments, but we will be sure to take at least 15 minutes to go through them at the end. So as we, as we speak, please, we wanna keep this interactive. We've had uh, a long day, I'm sure, of similar Zoom meetings, sitting and listening. We wanna have a great participation as well. Okay, so with that, I think I can start with some panelist introductions. I'm gonna go through and introduce these amazing women, um, but you will all have plenty of opportunities to hear from them in a couple moments. So first, um, maybe when I say your name, you guys could just wave. Um, first, we have Savinch Yuxel who is the Vice President of Construction for Related Companies. Savinch is responsible for leading all construction efforts for 50 Hudson Yards, a 2.9 million gross square foot development, and one of New York City's largest commercial office buildings when completed next year in 2022. Over 15 years experience in construction management, she served as a project manager and led pre-construction um, engineering for several major projects throughout New York City, uh, and also graduated from Columbia with a bachelor's and master's degree in civil engineering. So we are so pleased to have you, Sabish. Thank you. Oh, please here. Thank you. Thanks. Um, Marjorie St. Ellen is with us as well, who is a regional director of Turner Construction's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Department. In this role, she's responsible for designing and implementing strategies to ensure inclusive and engaged environment. Marjorie is a 15-year veteran with Turner Construction Company, which is really exciting, um, and has been an integral member of her New York family. She's held several roles with projects on the operational side and uses her significant experience to teach both DE&I and construction management courses through Turner's Workforce Development Program. Um, Marjorie is also recognized as the first female African-American associate professor within the Pratt Institute. So we are so happy to have you, Marjorie. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And Yasmin Fuddle is our 
third panelist this evening, um, who is AVP or Head of Workplace Design and Experience for TD Enterprise Real Estate. Uh, originally from Sudan, Yasmin grew up in the UAE and Canada. She is a creative strategist with 17 years of multidisciplinary interior design, thought leadership, workplace strategy, change management, project delivery experience on both the consulting and the client side. Um, her core focus is crafting human-centric workplace experiences that are resonant, inclusive, responsive, and meaningful. So we have a powerhouse panel this evening to take on some exciting questions. But before I hand it over, I just wanted to talk about why we're here tonight, how this conversation kind of came to be and why I am and I know the panelists and the group that pulled together this event are so excited. Um, over the summer, uh, the Women's Committee reached out to me um, as chair of the Young Leaders Committee wanting to do an event. And at the time, I had just read an article about how female participation in the workforce is at an all-time low. Um, the lowest point since the 1970s. And I thought, well, what a great forum to highlight the impact that the absence of females in the workforce will have on everything having to do with employment and real estate. And how can we use our resources, our expertise to encourage female participation through real estate and perhaps workplace design. So we set off on a mission and the summer continued. And then there were rumblings and headlines of what's being called the Great Resignation, um, which saw 4.3 million people quit their jobs in August, another 4.4 million people leave their jobs in September, the majority of which were under the 35 age and count as young leaders, according to Cornet. So two really important groups that we have the privilege of representing, really making a statement about, you know, their, their people's relationship with work has fundamentally changed. And it's changed in a way that's much bigger, bigger and much stickier than the COVID pandemic or hybrid working or flexibility in the workplace. And we are going to take that change on today um, in what we're calling the workplace experience. So for the sake of today's conversation, the workplace experience is everything that has to do with being an employee or being an employer. It's the place that you go to, that office, that building, everything that we talk about all day in real estate. It's the support structure that, ha that you have in place for management and training. It's benefits. We're, we're really wanting to talk about all of it. And in doing so, we'll explore some key questions like, what are employees' expectations and how has this changed from the Dilbert age, right? The nine to five, the cubes, the stapler from office. What is that movie? Office place. Um, and what, what about employer expectations? What, what's changed from an employer? What do they expect from their people? 
The second question is, how do you encourage participation in the work experience? So how do you get people to be those great employees? How do you get people to stay? How do you get people to want to invest themselves in your company like the company is investing in them? And third, how do you meet the needs and expectations of as many employees or clients as possible? And is an equitable workplace experience achievable? If it isn't, how do you adapt? Okay, so we have plenty to talk about. And um, I would invite, yeah, I would say moderators, please come off mute so that we could have a nice chat. Um, and let's start with Yasmin. So from an occupier's perspective, thinking about um, people's expectations. How do you create a platform to hear the needs and expectations of your end users at TV? Hey there, um, I'm hoping you can hear me. Yep. Perfect. Yeah, um, so first I just wanna also acknowledge that um, it's a real honor to be here, um, especially with these esteemed panelists. So thanks for having me. Um, you know, we look at gathering insights in a lot of different ways. Um, there's a lot of different tools that are kind of at our disposal and others that require a lot more investment. So um, we try to be very kind of specific and surgical with the type of data that we're seeking. Um, and also well aware that people are kind of completely done with surveys, at least in our organization, because we survey about a lot of different things. Um, so it starts to kind of lose its meaning. Um, but the thing with feedback and data is that you want to be very specific with what type of data you're gathering so that you can then understand, combine it, translate it into understanding what your end users want. Um, other, and if you're not specific, then you've just got a bunch of data and influx of information that might be a little bit difficult to sift through and may not even be valuable. So um, we do a couple of different things. So I think fundamentally we um, have an approach that whatever way we're engaging with end users, it has to be accessible to everyone. We don't want to just engage with a slice of the, of the, um, of the colleagues at our organization. We wanna understand the full spectrum of expectations and then start to place them and combine them into, again, buckets that we can then start to solve for. Um, and more than anything, the one thing that is unanimous across the board is that we know that people wanna be heard. They wanna feel that they belong. They want us, our job is to anticipate what their needs are. Um, they wanna know that someone's listening and has the, um, inherent empathy to understand and acknowledge and meet those expectations. So, um, so the first thing is, is I've been at the bank a couple of years now, and actually there are a lot of tools that exist that people don't actually know exist. So um, whenever we launch, we wanna make sure that there's awareness that they exist. Um, so uh, there's the hard hitting kind of larger platforms. Every day when you log in, there's an enterprise-wide landing page. Everyone's going to see that. What's on that page? When would we want to be, uh, um, uh, you know, communicating on that front and soliciting feedback? Um, mm. We have kind of like a proactive kind of push where we um, we publish a magazine called um, it's an internal magazine that's called Building for Tomorrow. It goes out to the ninety thousand colleagues, and it uh, not only does it kind of 
have this educational function, but it encourages people to actually engage with us, tell us what their expectations are, kind of, um, you know, uh, place the, the people that are responsible for the experience or the space that they're in so that we can actually have a conversation, have some dialogue. Um, there's some there's some stuff that we've come across um, and maybe some of the other panelists have come across it too that we're kind of on the fence about. Like um, there's some AI driven tools that allow users to provide direct feedback on the physical environment. You pick up your phone, you take a photo, it sends it directly to the real estate team and then combines it into a bunch of data. And, you know, but usually people like to complain about things rather than kind of celebrate. And what we want to do is kind of understand again, that like the full spectrum of what drives behavior and, you know, and kind of get ahead of the curve. Right. So um, one, one big thing that we do is um, we do, I call it like stealth mode observation. So we've got, we have access to all of the spaces in the organization. So we can swipe in and just kind of observe that like living, breathing, ever-changing space. Sometimes people have formed habits that are in response to the environment they're in. There's not enough whiteboards, they're taping things up on the wall and there's like a residue of all this activity that then tells us that we, we need to solve for something. Um, and then, We've also done one other thing, which is uh, at the TD Workplace Studio. We've kind of, uh, it's our own space and we've configured mm -hmm. it in a way that we can bring in kind of test pilots that we can test drive and also bring in other businesses to do a test drive as well. So it's, we call it like Airbnb. <laughs> so bring in a business, especially that like cranky leader that says, you know, the open office is never going to work and this isn't the way we work. And we just host them in our space for a week or two and, and, and solicit their feedback, um, you know, after they're done their little chore. So um, there's a, a lot of different ways of doing it. Some of it's qualitative, some of it's quantitative, but it gives us a more holistic picture. Um, and then we communicate, so, you know, through all the platforms and tools that we have. So that's um, so kind of where we are in our, in our journey. I think that's really interesting because it sounds like you, there's like, passive information gathering through the landing page or actively reaching out to large groups of people where I know a lot of uh, a common approach is you get like a small group of workplace champions or, you know, like you get a sampling, but you're actively work reaching out to a larger group. And then the Airbnb and piloting is always really helpful too. So that's great. Um, Savinch, thinking about related and your building, I mean, small city over at Hudson Yards, small city might be more appropriate. Um, a similar question for you, how do you get feedback from your tenants and what are the expectations that you're hearing or seeing from them? Um, so first of all, I also want to thank you for inviting me on this panel. It is a privilege to be here. Um, it's an interesting question, and I think Yasmin uh, touched on it more in terms of like a fit-out, like an office-based fit-out perspective, and you just touched on the fact that I work in Hudson Yards. So related built Hudson Yards, we call it a neighborhood, you, you know, or a campus. Um, so it's basically a collection of multiple offices and multiple different tenants uh, occupying it. And it is an interesting sort of example or a showcase. Uh, we have large tenants and small tenants. Like we have tenants that have over a million square feet of space. 
commercial tenants. We have retail tenants, but we also have smaller commercial tenants. So, you know, a, a firm that may take only half a floor or a quarter of a floor. There are certain common denominators on what tenants expect. And I think most of these common denominators are about like amenities because each different commercial office has different requirements. You know, like we have, uh, even at 50 Hudson Yards, the project I'm working on, we have two large tenants, one being BlackRock, a financial institution, another being Facebook, which is obviously a tech company. So they have very, very different requirements, but certain amenities are common. Um, going through like what the tenants expect, especially in an urban setting, um, I will list a few, not in any particular order. Transportation is one. So like what makes Hudson Yards Hudson Yards is that it's a hub and it's very accessible through uh, public transportation. It could be the Long Island Railroad, Penn Station, Seven Line Train. So, so having public transportation access, that's, a, that's what tenants are looking for. Staying with the transportation topic, uh, even, you know, biking. Uh, it used to be, so like having city bike that's close to you, that's like seen as an amenity or an advantage. Uh, it used to be that like bike storage uh, used to be sort of a back of house activity, like people used to park in a parking lot in a corner, maybe there was a space for bikes. It's not like that anymore. Like bike storage uh, is, is a front of house experience in our buildings because that's what tenants uh, expect. Um, so that's for transportation. Then there's food and beverage. This is common for any and every tenant. Uh, large tenants who have the space provide their own food and beverage services. So most of these big tenants, this is one of the things that they sell as a, as, as a part of their workplace uh, experience is having free food, but like also very nice, uh, nice cafeterias. Um, it was very important for Facebook, for example, mm -hmm. to, to be able to provide kitchen uh, for their employees. Uh, same with BlackRock. They have their own dining. Uh, but there are also smaller tenants that don't have the room to accommodate their own food and beverage services. So the campus provides that for them. Uh, we have a lot of restaurants uh, and options here around in Hudson Yards and also Manhattan West. Uh, so I think that's important, food and beverage. Uh, outdoor space, that's huge. That's, tenants expect, I mean, that's now sort of a, a gathering space for people. So Again, large tenants can, if, if the room allows, like have their own private terraces to throw events and whatnot. Uh, and other tenants, like Hudson Yards, provides an entire plaza for their tenants. Um, there was actually a requirement with the city when we started developing Hudson Yards that we had to have 50% green space. So we have 14 acres of plaza space that's available in front of our buildings. And there's program, different programs offered um, in these spaces. So I think outdoor spaces is huge. And then a new concept, like, you know, the whole topic here is like what changed since the Dilbert uh, age, wellness. Like, I think that's not something that people used to talk about, but wellness mm -hmm. is important and wellness comes in many, diff many different aspects. So we have, again, using Hudson Yards as like sort of a showcase example, but we have Equinox gyms, we have spa. We have, um, uh, you know, for spinning, we have Soul Cycle. We have, so there's all sorts of like gym type uh, wellness offered here, but also 
we have a Mount Sinai Health Center here that's uh, accessible to all Hudson Yards tenants. Um, as a part of actually our experience, like I get, te- you know, because of COVID and everything that's happening, I get tested through Mount Sinai every week and it's, they come to my office. So that's mm-hmm. a service that Hudson Yards provides. Um, and there's even a hospital special surgery in Hudson Yards. So there's like, you know, healthcare and wellness um, options that are offered within the campus. I think that's important. That's something that tenants expect. Childcare. This also didn't used to be so talked about before, but it's like when you build a campus like this, you have to have childcare. Um, we have Vivi, one, uh, a, um, you know, a daycare provider uh, that has a space here, and it gets priority to they give priority to Hudson Yards employees. So that's a that's another thing that people offer. Um, another thing is collaboration, like. People want open spaces and collaborative spaces. And again, big tenants can usually accommodate their, their, that within their own spaces. But for smaller tenants, we accommodate that in our amenity spaces. So even mm-hmm. in Hudson Yards, we have a sky lobby and we're providing conference rooms and lounge areas. So different smaller tenants can book these spaces and, and use them. And a final thing that I, I made a note of that, again, not really thought much about but it's security. And I think living in a, a big urban city like New York, um, individual building security and campus security, like Hudson Yards has its own security and own uh, action plan. Um, and these are things that are important for big and small <laughs> clients and tenants um, that they care about. So. I think that the world is changing, and I think the younger generation has different expectations from what they have in their workplace. It's, it's the concept of, like, living to work or working to live, and, and there's definitely a shift. And uh, in order to provide, like, Class A office buildings, you, you, these are the amenities that people expect to see. Hopefully mm-hmm. that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That, that was really helpful and descriptive. And what I'm hearing from you is it's not just if you build it, they will come. There's a level of service that's expected on top of it. And I think the best example that you gave was, yeah, you could have Mount Sinai in the complex that services, but that's not enough. You need to send them to people's offices and have that extra level of service, whether it's digital through an app and ordering and picking up or having that kind of concierge experience to make sure that people take advantage, which I think is, is interesting. It's not just it, be, it being there isn't enough anymore. <laughs> you need to bring yeah. the horse to the water and then give them a straw as well. Yeah, I think actually what our development guys call it is that it used to be sort of like a mile service, like you wanted these services to be within a one mile radius, and now it's turning into a one meter service because everything's actually coming to you. And it's absolutely a shift that's happening. Thank you. And Marjorie, so we've heard about some of the expectations that Yasmin and Savich are dealing or hearing, not dealing with, but experiencing. Um, <laughs> and from your perspective, perspective, why is it important for organizations to listen, first of all, and then look to adapt in order to meet the needs of their their employees or their expectations of their employees? 
great question. And I want to say thank you for having me with these wonderful women. So rich, yes, we, uh, it's been great working with you guys, getting to know you in the past few weeks. Um, I think adaptation is important. I think that's what we did during the COVID crisis. Um, speaking of end user experience and workplace experience, our workplace experience at Turner is not limited just to the office, it's also the construction site. So for when we had to deal with the COVID crisis, we adapted by making sure that we gave amenities to the workers. We made sure there was hot running water facilities for um, to have a healthy environment where people can wash their hands, where they can sanitize. So we adapt according to what is going on, according to what the industry needs are according to our clients. Our clients are, which is the ultimate end user, is as a service provider at Turner is we're providing a service for our, our owners. We had to make sure that we kept the jobs going. And we adapted through screening. We adapted through um, even bringing everybody back. If you could see behind me, there's a nice piece of plexiglass. Um, so, we adapted in the workplace, making sure that we took care of everyone's um, as best as we can and give them a sense of psychological safety that we were going to do everything we could to make sure everyone feels like it's okay, you're in a safe environment, you're in a healthy environment. So I think um, to answer your question, adaptation um, helps productivity, right? If you feel like your needs are being heard, you feel like your needs are being addressed and you're in constant communication with your management team, um, you have a sense of peace and security and it makes it easier to come back to the workplace. And then I guess a question for, for the group, we've talked a lot about expectations and what they are and how we get them, but now that they've shifted are you implementing any changes in how you support your people, whether it's your employees or your clients? I think um, the key thing has been communication. If there's mm. one thing we learned, the most important thing throughout um, the past two years is um, communicate your plan, communicate your intention, um, our, our CEO implemented weekly calls um, for years straight, making sure that there were check-in points. Um, there were check-in points developed by HR to make sure that everyone was accounted for. Um, so I think communication is, is what's gonna help us adapt again as things keep changing as we return to the workplace. It's so interesting. Um just thinking about like the check-ins and the calls. Um, it, it acknowledges like the human side of being an employee, right? Um, and taking time to say, hey, are you, are you okay? Um, do you think that that's something that will remain consistent? You know, that's been seen and can't go unseen or, or do you have different thoughts? Let's say Marjorie, um, you could it's go. Authentic. Mm -hmm. okay. Go ahead, yes. No, go, go, go. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think it's um uh I think if it's authentic, 
than because um, I think it depends on who you talk to and which organization they're in, right? Some organizations are polling employees, like there's a very granular level of um, inclusion in the decision. And then others are actually kind of leading the charge, taking a pulse check and then moving forward. So I think it, it kind of depends. Um, like we, in our organization, um, it almost feels like 50, part of why people like working at the bank is because you have some, each business has its own kind of culture and autonomy and each leader um, uh, communicates in a different style, um, different, what you said, uh, Marjorie, about communicating, like you need to communicate at the right time with the right tone, you know, and for you to be able to, to do it effectively, you have to be able to, um, again, it comes back to that word empathy. Like, can you really empathize with the vast variety of different situations or experiences that, you know, people might be going through um, before you make a decision? And I think if you do that in absence of engaging with, you know, um, everyone in, in your business or your organization or then, you know, you're missing kind of a critical component. So whether it has lasting power, I don't know. I mean, you mentioned the great resignation. I, I feel like companies have to work harder because people expect more. I, don't, I think at the end of the day, people do expect more and there's more value placed on, um, on things like belonging and being inclusive and uh, being healthy and safe. Marjorie kind of touched on that as well, right? And those voices are getting louder and louder and they have a platform, right, um, to do so, whether outside or inside the organization, usually outside. <laughs> um, so it, it's kind of a, a tough question to answer, but it, it really does depend. I hope it stays because um, um, there's uh, such a, it's kind of this disarming of that old um, idea that, hey, you know, uh, we um, say, for example, if you take a call center worker or a production worker, well, you know, the nature of their work means that they have to be in the office, they have to be in the call center, they have to be in the office. Well, I don't know. I mean, we've lived through two years where people are working from home and doing just fine. Uh, a lot of them, not all, but, uh, but that we've been able to kind of close the gap and make it a little bit more of an equitable experience between knowledge workers and call center production workers and are we really going to kind of wash our hands of that after all of this and say, yeah, okay, let's go back to where we were. I don't think people will, will accept that. Um, I think they may leave and, and then you have the, the issue of attrition. So um, mm -hmm. anyway, long, long answer, but it's kind of a complex no, one. It's a good answer because you're touching on the fact that people have had accessibility to leadership that they haven't had before. And transparency into business decisions or potential inclusion into what's happening in business decisions. And if all of a sudden you feel like that's taken away, a lot of your um, purpose or your connection to that, to your mission of the organization is, is taken away too. So that's really interesting because it's, you know, people expect to be a part of the company that they work for. And if, that's gone. Why should I hang out? And clearly, I mean, not to harp on the great resignation, but the numbers are insane. 4.3 million, then 4.4 million in two months. And there were over, I saw this, I was like, oh, I need to remember this. Over 670,000 jobs were added that month and they just left there because people are like, no, time out, not doing it. Yeah. But I think yeah. And what, and what makes that happen be... too, right? Right. 
And I think companies have to be realistic um, in terms of like some of them, there's nothing you can absolutely do to keep that person. If the person all of a sudden decides that they want to work in the mountains, um, they want to live out in the country, there's no amount of money, no amount of titles going to keep that person. So mm-hmm. I, I think um, some employers should take a breath and um, not necessarily say, well, okay, we're going to change everything and make it work for you. Um, I, I've learned in the DEI role that equity does not mean you get what you want. Equity simply means that everybody has a fair chance. Everybody has an opportunity, but it doesn't mean because a company is being equitable, because a company is being inclusive, all of a sudden we can do things that maybe in certain industries it works. Um, mm-hmm. Us as a company, we're exploring all options. Um, no final decision has been made, but we have to be mindful of the fact of the const- in the construction industry, it's not always feasible to work from home as a superintendent as you're managing a construction project. So there's a lot of factors that come into it before we could say we're gonna 100% react or adapt to the great resignation. Yeah, no, that's a great point and a wonderful segue um, to kind of shift into how, you're right, this is a two-way street. This isn't just employees shouting expectations. Employers also have expectations of the people that they they, um, pay, quite frankly, um, and what they want to get out of their performance. So let's touch on some participation and um, retention points. Marjorie, we're going to stick with you, but at Turner, have you seen a change in how employee performance has is being measured because of some of the adjustments that have been made? Um, there's a greater sense of connection um, since we've spent a lot of close time together. But the general sense of measuring performance um, has remained the same. However, what we've done in the DE&I world is we're now looking at bias interrupters. Um, uh, We have a robust HR department and they're challenging managers and employees and colleagues to say, hey, you know, you're saying this person is aggressive. is that statement because of, is it a personality thing? Is it a bias towards this person's personality or is it, you know, they're overly aggressive with their work? Mm. Um, so um, we're, we're challenging each other. We're looking at, um, we did some internal training for bias interrupters to look at affinity bias, confirmation bias, regency bias to see, you know, why is this person being framed this in this manner or that manner? So it sounds like there's a new expectation or a challenge, if you will, to, to staff to not only be a, a high-performing employee, but also acknowledge, you know, personal biases and um, do an attempt to actively combat them, which is amazing. Wow. It's great to hear. Um, Savinch, I know similarly, uh, you've had some great points in earlier conversations about how you're right, it is different between the knowledge workers and tactical workers. So 
what are some different ways that you've seen um, in, to measure performance of knowledge or tactical performance? Um, I mean, I think similarly to like what Marjorie said, right? Related as a real estate company, we have a construction division. We also have, we, uh, we own and operate buildings. So we also have like a front facing uh, hospitality group. Like they couldn't take a break. They couldn't work from home. The, you know, uh, facilities people who like actually were running these buildings, the construction people couldn't either. Um, so I think equity was an issue, and I think this time that we just went through sort of challenged all the norms that existed. Um, I think feedback is important, um, similarly to Turner and what Marjorie mentioned, like there was a company-wide survey that was done. I think there was, there was this moment of like, we have to listen to people and, and understand where they're at, how they're feeling. And survey results for me were not surprising, but somehow to upper management they were. But it's good. I think it's something they needed to see. Um, mm -hmm. So I think evaluating performance, I, I think they took that into account this year. I, I, I do think that there's a mind shift, um, especially for the upper management. And I think that's important. But it's also a problem in, you know, what we discussed earlier with equity and how, how you these workplaces changing, how do you offer something to somebody but not to somebody else in your company? I think as a related, their philosophy uh, was like, let's lead by example. We are landlords. We operate these commercial office towers. We want people to come back. We think that it's mm -hmm. going to be good for the local economy of New York. This isn't just about us. It's also about New York. If New York's going to survive this, like people need to come back. And their approach was, we're going to open our offices, we're going to open our, and we're going to ask everybody to come back. We're not going to just ask our construction team to come back, but we're going to ask everybody to come back. And yes, there's always exceptions, but, um, and in order to do that, their idea was, how could we make the office space safe for people to come back? So, and again, that, that started with modifications to similarly to what Margie shows with the plexiglass. We have plexiglass everywhere as well. We saw unlimited masks that were provided to people, like hand sanitizers everywhere mm -hmm. and testing every week. So it's sort of a feedback loop. Like you have to give to your employees so they are motivated to give back to you. Mm -hmm. It sounds like also it, it did become a bit more of a frequent pulse check in a conversation though. It's not like it, um, I'm not sure how, how it was before, but perhaps it was an annual review where now there was often, there were the check-ins, there were the surveys. So like people were able to, to have performance tracked more closely instead of it all culminating in like one conversation with your line manager a year. Great. Um, so thinking about a big part of what we spoke about um, in earlier conversations was mentorship and sponsorship. And is there a desire for that? Um, so Yasmin, I was wondering if you could tell us about how an organization like TD is facilitating a spirit of mentorship and sponsorship, you know, in, with 
the thought that yes, that benefits the individual and their career, but it also benefits the employer because it gives an additional investment to that purpose. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a two-way benefit. Um, I mean, there's the um, there's enterprise-wide programs. Um, some of them are linked to DNI. Uh, others are not. Um, they're just kind of general mentorship programs where they kind of open the door and you know make an introduction and match you with a mentee or a mentor. Um, uh, there's one really good one. It's called Each One Teach One. That's for um, uh, that's focused on the black community and a lot of people sign up for it. And I think what's great about it is about mentorship generally is that um, it gives the mentee kind of access and half the time and that's the hardest part, right? Getting your foot through the door, making some of those connections, getting the exposure, having access to information. Um, and you know, for me, when I was kind of way earlier in my career, I found that through mentorship, it kind of broadened my perspective. You know, you think there's only one way to do things or one way to get to from point A to B, but it actually kind of broadens your perspective about what you can do. Um, and so for me, uh, I think that the enterprise-wide programs are good. They're definitely on a voluntary basis. Um, mm -hmm. And you see more and more organizations starting to actually fold them into <laughs> your performance. So it becomes a performance measure, which, you know, um, some people are, are not for. I'm, to, I'm totally for it. I think that, you know, um, mentorship not only benefits the mentee, but it actually benefits the mentor as well. Um, it gives you a clear idea um, of what people are looking for. And usually it creates a connection with someone that you may have not been able to access just reading a resume or, you know, they may not have even made it through all the filters that it takes to get mm -hmm. through. So, um, so we do have, um, I find this useful. It's kind of like, uh, I, I mentor a lot of people on my spare time and um, uh, some of them are college students graduating in this environment, right. In this virtual world. Um, and um, they, I was telling them that LinkedIn is like a tool I would have loved to have because it gives you access to people that could really help to guide your decisions um, and can become, you know, um, can help you kind of grow as a person. And so um, we have an internal version of that. It's called Connections. And what it does is it gives you all the details to connect with people directly. You can, I'm pretty sure, email anyone other than the senior executive team. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so that's a lot of people that you have access to with no barriers, um, you know, and, uh, and there's also kind of co-op programs um, that are geared towards bringing in talent um, on, you know, four-month rotations and hopefully finding, up, giving that talent exposure and then finding ways to actually embed them into the organization, finding opportunities to open more doors and um and i find we've done a couple of those too and so um those have been pretty beneficial so but it's it's more kind of guiding principles i'd say but the culture within within the bank is such that um you know people don't necessarily take those guiding principles very lightly um mm -hmm. they they do actually um they do actually mean something um at the end of the day so at least from what i've observed what I think is so interesting is that um, some of the 
some of the mentorship opportunities that you brought up are focused around things that are not directly related to your day job, like those employee resource groups about race, um, other passion areas that you have. And I think it's, it's kind of similar to what Sabine was saying about a real estate development. It's not just an office building that you go to, it's a lifestyle. And I think by acknowledging that you know, mentorship can happen outside of your nine to five. And actually it could be a lot more fruitful when it's outside of your nine to five, because you have those really personal connections is, is really great. Great to hear. Um, and Savinch, what about, um, from your perspective or related perspective, how is mentorship or sponsorship being used to fill gaps, um, knowledge gaps or, or skill gaps for, for individuals? Um, so for someone who is on a more experienced level, there isn't like an established enterprise like mentorship program. I wish there was. But as a company, I think that there's quite a lot of access to upper management. So if you are seeking for it, it's definitely mm -hmm. available. I think one experience I had it related was that we have a really robust and very like thought through internship program. So the, I almost call them kids. I like telling myself, don't call them kids. <laughs> the younger <laughs> people who joined our internship program, like I thought that was an incredible opportunity to like engage with them through the summer and what, what Related does is it's not just an internship program where you just report to that one person on that one project or, or department, but they have these weekly seminars where it's actually the seminars are given by upper management, like the mm -hmm. president of the company. So you get to meet those people and hear their thoughts and their perspectives. So that's sort of like a sponsorship um, type of program. On a personal level, I would say, Mentorship has been like such an integral part of my career. I have incredible, I had incredible mentors um, from my previous company, from Turner, like, and I still reach out to them. Uh, and even at my current company, like, I think that you, you have to have some sort of a personality, like maybe an outgoing personality to be able to seek for that. And I, mm -hmm. that's why I wish that there was maybe something more established here, but um, I have no problem doing that. So and I really do value their opinions. And it's not just like your bosses, but it's also um, people I met throughout my career, like old clients that I still speak to today. Um, mm -hmm. Occasionally get coffee, like check in, like this is what I'm doing now. Like, I don't know what the next move should be. And, it, and I think these are important. These, are, these have been extremely valuable for me. And as someone who sort of reached this part of my career, I really try personally to give back. So like, I really appreciate what Yasmin's saying that she does that regularly. Um, I try to do that with the people who work for me, who work with me. I really try that because I think it's actually the most, um, and Yasmin is right, like I learn a lot from that experience. It's, a, it's first of all, an incredibly um, humbling and rewarding experience. Uh, but it's also like I, there's certain things that I've like, I wish someone had told me that when I was, you know, in that position. Mm -hmm. So I really try to give, I think it's, it's very important. And I wish every company had something more structured and established, but I'm a big proponent of it. 
we kind of do have something that's semi-structured. We have development partners. Um, it's nice that the company has offered every single employee an opportunity to have a development partner. Um, and it doesn't have to be your direct supervisor. And some people have used that relationship as a mentoring relationship, as a coaching relationship. And then um, as Yasmeen and Savage mentioned through the ERGs to the employee resource groups, um, there's tons of mentoring going on. Um, we have the opportunity to participate and we, I think in New York there are about eight or nine of them at this point. And um, their events and their conversations and dialogues and experiences are open to all of us. Um, so we're constantly learning from each other, which is great. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And I would also like a, a quick plug for um, the Cornette Women's Leadership Committee has done historically a, a mentorship program. I was part of it and thought it was incredible. I believe it's a series that has continued and I see Julie nodding, will continue. So keep eyes out if anyone is interested, that's another avenue we would love for you to explore. Um, so I know I, I love this conversation, but there's like two questions that are the reason why we're here tonight that I wanna make sure we cover. So quick turn, um, a big change that we're seeing in the workforce or how people participate in the workforce is that, you know, your performance needs to be sustainable, right? There's this desire to, to move away from the vast peaks and valleys of, you know, high performance and, and burnout. Um, and one example that I talked about in the introduction is the decrease of female participation in the workforce. So I would like to focus on that for a few minutes and ask Marjorie, what's being done to encourage for female participation in the workforce um, at Turner? And then Yasmin, it would be great to get your thoughts afterwards. Um, what I'll start uh, from a recruiting perspective. Um, we have a recruiting goal for female employees within the department and our HR recruiting team is adamantly making sure we meet those goals. That we, so that's one. Another way that we do it is through female ERG. We have a, a female ERG maker mark that makes sure that we work with the women at Turner to target mm -hmm. issues that are specific to them. Um, through our targeting, we also uh, work with organizations such as SWE, uh, which is, um, uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting the acronym for it, but uh, it's uh, Women Engineers, um, that organization. And we also work with Society of Women Engineers. Thank you, Ellen. Um, <laughs> sweet, yes. And we also work with NEW, which is Non-Traditional Employment for Women. Uh, with that organization, we have some of, our, some of our senior leadership on the board to make sure that um, we have adequate women representation on our job sites. Um, we, we, we look at the figures constantly when staffing projects. Um, and in the office, on the projects, we also do our best to uh, give stretch assignments uh, to make sure that every job site, you know, if there's a female there, they're not being looked at as, you know, the admin. They're given opportunity. If they're an engineer, they're a project manager, project executive, their roles are respected and their responsibilities are respected. 
I love that. And I love that you acknowledge that, you know, I think sometimes it's, it's difficult, but I remember it was one of the first or second projects I was working on. And um, I was an IT project manager in IT. And my boss said, Chelsea, stop taking notes at meetings. And I was like, what? No, that's like how I remember things. And he said, no, because you end up taking notes for everyone. And the perception is that you'll do everyone's admin, stop taking notes at meetings. And I remember being so taken aback because I never realized, you know, that that perception, I guess, existed and that that perception could be damaging to my career. So it's so great to hear that you acknowledge it and you have those stretch assignments that have specific titles and purposes to make sure that that doesn't accidentally happen. Great. Yasmin, what about um, encouraging female participation at TD? Uh, we've got a very, very strong women in leadership group. Um, there's one that's enterprise-wide and then, you know, usually a lot of the businesses have their own um, internal ones. But um, I mean, for TD, a lot of our corporate, uh, TD stands for Toronto Dominion Bank. I know we're in the U.S., but, um, uh, and I think in the U.S. we're branded America's most convenient bank. So we're probably two separate entities, but uh, a lot of our corporate spaces are up, uh, just to clarify, clarify the comment. Um, a lot of our um, corporate spaces are up in Canada and we've got, I'd say maybe two thirds to a third um, in the US. So we've got a pretty good spread, but I'd say that um, the laws in Canada, beyond what the organization is doing, the laws for safe women in the workforce in Canada are more expansive than, um, uh, let's say I, I had, two, I have three kids, two of my kids I had in the UAE and then one that I had in Canada and the UAE I had 45 days and my employer got to decide whether it was 45 business days or calendar days, like the, the difference of two weeks pay, crazy. Um, and here, you know, the, you know, you have 12 months, you're protected. Now it's 18 months, you're protected. You're, you know, not paid your full salary, but you do get uh, paid, uh, I think it's like 55 or 60%. Um, so you have some options, but the most important part is that you're able to return to the same job or better. So if the job doesn't exist anymore, or if someone's trying to push you out the door because you're you're dispensable because you're out there, you know you've left the the um, the workforce for a little bit to start a family or whatever, um, you're not dispensable because the law protects you. And so if you start to kind of apply that same approach to an organization, the policy within that organization, similar to the law um, external to the organization, is the thing that really kind of enshrines that protection um, so that you don't do not feel dispensable um, so within PD like there's a lot of um, flexibility I would say it's not necessarily solely uh, given to women it's really kind of um, uh, a lot more flexibility I say than a lot of other organizations that I've worked for um, women often have a seat at the table there are women at our senior executive team making the decisions and I think you kind of see that make its way through the organization. Like our head of construction is a woman. And, mm -hmm. you know, I remember, you know, almost 20 years ago, the first time I set foot on site, someone asked me, uh, someone told me, uh, one of the, 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 the site guys there said, you know, um, you know, they make those, those, those uh, hard hats in pink. 
I was like, I don't like pink, right? Like all of those kind of stereotypes when you put women in positions um, similar to what Marjorie was just talking about. And when we have a seat at the table and we have a voice and we have a vote, then, you know, it makes it a lot more of an equitable environment, allows us to participate more. Um, but we also, there's a lot of um, different factions within the bank that really focus on women, financial fitness, it's a part of the ready commitment. But within real estate, like our small group, um, you know, we came in, everyone kind of plays a part, right? Um, we came in and said, okay, well, what's our job? Our job is to fundamentally design the experience for every colleague. And you and I both know that we've been in spaces where women have to pump in a bathroom because there's no mother's room or, you know, you're put in positions where you may be in a less than ideal environment, um, you know, to suit your needs. And so what we've tried to do is go in and plug that gap, whether or not it's the law, or whether it's the law or not. So for example, mm -hmm. it's not the law up in Canada to have a mother's room in every space because mm -hmm. maternity leave is quite long, but we are, we've just made it part of our baseline minimum standard. And it's, it's those kind of details that matter because it allows again, more access and it, it meets the moment and, um, you know, tries to address that end user experience. Um, so it's kind of a combination of different things, but to me, the policies make, make have the most impact. So where the law may have a gap, the mm -hmm. organization needs to plug that, that policy and give more choice um, to women and everyone else in the organization. Great. Well, thank you. And I want to shift to another group um, that has been talked about a lot over the last I don't know, year and a half, how long have we been in this pandemic forever? Um, working parents, yes. Um, what's being done to encourage participation and avoid burnout for working parents in the workforce? Um, and Savinch, I wanted to ask you this. You had some great comments in earlier conversation. Yes, um, thank you. It's actually a topic that's very dear to my heart. <laughs> and sometimes some of the things I say some people find controversial because people like to think of this as like a mother's problem. And I think like in our previous conversation, I corrected it and made it a parent's problem because uh, when this pandemic happened, maybe it's because I've worked with a lot of men that may also be the reason, but childcare was an issue for everybody. It wasn't just an issue for moms. It was also an issue for any parent that's in a relationship where, you know, both parents are working. Uh, and this was, so this is a universal problem. And, I think like it's very great to hear what Yasmin is saying about like laws in Canada. I was like, maybe Chelsea will now move to Canada. I <laughs> honestly am like, how do I get to Canada by March? <laughs> um, You're welcome, but it's cold. It's very cold. <laughs> it's true. So obviously U.S. is a little behind in this, but I actually think the U.S. is behind in like parental leave in general, not just maternity leave. And it's not just policy, but it's also like acceptance of people feeling that it's okay to do so. I mean, I, I have a kid and I took maternity leave. I specifically always called it parental leave because my company policy was a parental leave policy, not a maternity leave policy. So technically the way it was written in my staff handbook was that if you're a primary caregiver, you're allowed to take 12 weeks. I encourage my male counterparts you're a primary caregiver. Take 12 weeks. You're allowed to take it. 
but it's so looked down upon. It's such a taboo that like they don't feel comfortable doing it. No one complained about the fact that I took it, but so I actually think that there's certain things that are not fair for fathers either, you know, in this world. So I think that the fact that I took my leave and that I was able to come back so easily was because my husband was offered four weeks leave and he took it. And I came back to work feeling extremely comfortable because my child was with his father. Like, so I think this is a universal issue. It's not just a woman's issue. And I actually think that if we could approach this as a universal issue and fight for the rights of all parents, it will equalize us. Like, I think mm-hmm. what makes the whole thing a mother's issue is the fact that we take longer leaves. And I'm not like, I'm not saying I'm not going to get into the details of how many weeks I should get versus how many weeks he should get. But I think that if this is seen as like a common issue that the, that uh, that bringing up a child into this world is both uh, mothers and fathers or parents, whatever mixture of parents you have responsibility, then I think it actually will equalize everything for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think this became such an obvious thing during the pandemic, because as I said, with schools being closed, like it was a universal issue for everybody. What do you do with your child and, and providing childcare? So that's just a, a little bit of a, I, you know, issue I'm a little passionate about, but on a, on a company level, like I mentioned this earlier, but it, it, in order to maintain parents, like work hours, flexibility of hours, like those are things that people have to think about. And it's also childcare. I mentioned, you know, like Hudson Yards providing childcare. That's, I considered actually sending my kid there. I ended up not, but I actually went and toured it because it is so convenient. And, and it is something that I think companies are starting to think about. There's already some that do it, like within the company itself. And, and at, at Hudson Yards, we, we try to approach it as like a campus level um, service that we provide. But I think those things are going to become important mm-hmm. to maintain parents. Yes, and, and I can add that uh, to Savinci's point, even though I'm not a parent, um, there's family leave and we're offered family leave. and. Uh, around five years ago when um, my uncle was um, going through a, a cancer battle and he was dying and I needed to take time off. I was afforded the opportunity to take time off and spend, um, ironically enough, I took two weeks off and I ended up one week with him. And the next week, you know, we were planning the funeral. So having that and that, and also um, we're, yes, I mean, we're not there yet in New York, but <laughs> we do have um, some sort of disability uh, New York state laws that allows family leave and you get a little bit of time. Um, if you have an elderly parent, if you have um, a sick relative. So we do get some time through New York state law, which has come through the employee that we could take some time off to be with our family members. No, thank you. And thank you for, for jumping in. You took my question. I was going to ask you, you know, <laughs> let's not forget about all of the people that aren't parents and aren't women and everyone else that, you know, has, has a job is important too. So I appreciate you jumping in there. Um, 
I want to be cautious of time, but I see our questions are quiet. So I'm going to keep going, guys. Jump in, uh, audience, friends, coronetters, please, with uh, your, your questions or comments. We would happily get to them. Um, Marjorie, sticking with you and, you know, a little bit of a, a, a transition from, from our conversation, um, talking about equity and how you mentioned earlier, equity isn't about being fair. <laughs> equity is about giving everyone a fair chance. Um, and I, I think that's so difficult to, to one, wrap your mind around and to keep in a conversation where everyone, where it's being mindful about how you speak, how you act, how you do all these things has thankfully kind of come, come more to the surface. Um, but it doesn't apply to all workers, especially in that hybrid experience. So how are you addressing or creating equity for, for those employees um, that need to be in office or in the job site or at the job functions that, that maybe uh, can't be remote. It's back to that C word communication, um, which has always been the key, right? Uh, if you have mm -hmm. a situation where you need to make arrangements, I'm thinking of a, a, a gentleman um, in the office. Um, he's a single parent. He has two sons and um, he made arrangements um, when we were going back and forth um, before we were back 100%. He would work one week from home um, to be with his kids, to be able to take them to school. And another week he would come into the office. Um, so it, it's really handled on a case-by-case -case basis. It's just very difficult to prescribe uh, just a company initiative to say, we're gonna do this, especially being a service sector and the work, the kind of mm -hmm. work that we do. Um, some clients want everybody that is attached to the project physically at the job site, and they wanna be able to go and see them like their planes, you know, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. they want them there. Um, other situations where um, people have positions in the office, I think, again, if they speak to their manager, um, if they come to an agreement that they can achieve their work on a flexible schedule, we're doing that. Um, like I said before, we are looking at all options. Um, we are currently piloting in five different offices, um, a hybrid model to see how that works and look at how is that equitable to all the different people that work in our industry, but a final decision company-wide has not been made. Thank you. It's, it's so funny how, how big questions and their answers can always bring you back to the basics. And it doesn't mean that it's simple and it doesn't mean that it's easy. I'm not taking away the magnitude of any of those, those, those tasks, Marjorie, but boiling it down to the communication word really, really does a lot. And um, yeah, I think when we were planning this, Iris dropped a quote that says, you learn everything you need to know in kindergarten. And <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that kind of, kind of pulls it all, all together for us. Great. 
So I do want to, to throw it out to our, our attendees. We have five minutes with this beautiful brain trust. And I want to make sure if there's any questions or any topics that you would like to cover, we, we give them a voice. So let us know. Looking at the other questions I got here, let's see. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna go rogue. Oh, we got one from Nikisha. <laughs> Nikisha, do you wanna come off mute and ask your question? Sure, hi ladies. Um, so I, my question is, um, how, what feedback that you've gotten in from your onsite team, you know, your, your facilities teams, your construction teams, on what would be supportive for them while working on site? Um, you know, we've looked at ways on, you know, including meditation, you know, allowing employees to take breaks, because, um, you know, there have to be on site. But have you found anything that was really helpful? Always free food, I found, is, is a great plus for people. But, you know, what other things have you guys heard? I can speak about my job site. So when the pandemic first happened and the whole city shut down, construction construction was still considered essential depending on the construction you were doing. But my job technically never closed. Um, and uh, even though we were working at a lower capacity, it was still open for the supersets to be on site. And it was a very scary time because no one actually knew what was happening or what we should do. Um, and then as we started to learn what works and what doesn't, like we've changed the entire logistics of our site, of how people enter. We put, um, we put uh, laser like sensor scanners for every single person. So they have to go through sort of an enclosed corral area so that we could measure their temperature going in. Uh, we put uh, hand washing stations and hand sanitizing stations everywhere. We bought when the whole world was like in a demand to buy masks, like we bought as many masks as possible so we could give it to our workers so they never had to like worry about that. Um, and then for our supers, we implement and for everybody in our office, as I mentioned earlier, we implemented the testing, the weekly testing policy. And it's hard to tell people to like go get tested. So we brought the testing on site. Um, to make it extremely convenient. I personally thought that was like the biggest thing for me because I mean, it was scary for me to go back to work too initially. You know, I have a, I have a young child. I have a mother-in-law who takes care of that child sometimes. Like I, I wanted to keep my family safe. Um, so that weekly testing we still do and it's like sort of a, just a guarantee for me. Um, and then for our office that's related we mandated vaccines as soon as they were available. We, by June, June of this past year, like in 2021, our office, in order to come back to the office, you had to be vaccinated. And I know that's also a controversial subject for um, some, but I mean, for me, I liked that it was, I mean, I wanted to get vaccinated anyway. And I, I, I it was reassuring to me to know that everybody around me was vaccinated. Um, yes. We did and then it's similar. just a lot of checking. Yeah, it's a lot of checking in with people. Goes back to what Marjorie said, but like I remember the toughest time of my entire career was trying to make the phone calls to people to tell them we got to go back, and like people were nervous. I was nervous, and I'm not like I, it was a difficult situation to be in. Like 
not to 100% enforce it because I think if someone didn't feel comfortable, we weren't going to force them at the time. But, you know, to, to, to get them comfortable, to make them feel safe so that they can come back. And I think, I mean, again, it goes back to communication, but that's just, you, we, it wasn't like, okay, here's the rule, come back. It, it wasn't going to work that way. You needed to make people feel comfortable and hear their concerns, um, adjust accordingly for people who had, who had to adjust their schedule for either their kids or, or whatever it may be. And, you know, communicate. <laughs> and it was great that um, they brought the vaccination to our office. So I'm getting my third vaccine on Friday, you know, just going to a few feet down to an office and getting it. So mm -hmm. conveniences like that um, makes it easy. And we, we do have a testing on site every day. You're able, whatever day you come in, you're able to get tested. And it, it became important to my family. It gave me the peace of mind. It's like, okay, I can see my mom. You know, I got tested this week. And if you want, you'll be like, okay, I'll get tested on Monday. And then we get tested on Wednesday if I know you're going somewhere or if you're gonna be around family members. So those kind of things, I think, Nakisha um, helps and um, that psychological safety again and, not, and feeling really cared for. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I think I told my boss, maybe I need to tell them again. Um, it, they spend a hell of a lot of money taking care of us and it's a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, They've invested in our health, they invested in us, feeling safe to come to work and go home to our families. And um, that's, a, that's a lot of money. I, I can't imagine what they had to do to get. Not only did they bring the vaccination to the office, they also bought testing and vaccination to the job sites. Hmm. It's almost like, I mean, hearing Nikisha, what you said when you asked the question and both of your responses, a job site, is a workplace. It's no, it's no longer just a construction and you can't get by without being able to wash your hands and you can't get by without considering all of the other things that the rest of the workforce gets, which is really new and exciting. You know, I've never seen meditation or wellness programming offered on site. So it's great to hear that that part of, part of the new expectation is that it's that expectation everywhere. It's not just when you're working in on in in the office. You know, you need it. I own part of it. Too. Oh, um, no! One quick thing: our owners even take part of it. Over at Sixty Six Hudson, before COVID, they were giving out free haircuts to the guys. They had an actual live barbershop there that the guys can go and get groomed, and they were offering free massages. I was going to say that, you know, it kind of goes back to the very first conversation we had about like what things will stick, what things will stay. And I think that the, like the hand washing stations and the sanitation of the job sites will stay. Like, yes. I think the, the, I think this has become a norm now. And I think that's great. <laughs> and I think it's not like we're going to go back just because there's no pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. Some of that will stay. Yeah, and, and and some of the virtual tools too, right? So no yeah. longer is it like, hey, come down to site every day. Yeah, maybe we can get away with doing the once a week or that, you know, I think that the, the, the tools that 
we actually saw a lot of tools come through from our engineers, the people that are out on site in person. And, um, you know, you, you can get the 360 view the same way as you can see every inch of a house before you buy it. And, you know, some people bought houses virtually. I am one of them, right? But in the pandemic, um, it, that's, that's, there's no reason why some of these tools wouldn't stick around um, after the fact, right? And, and you've seen a lot of an acceleration of um, adoption on, of these tools and proficiency, even in some of the tools that have existed for so long where you're like, oh, yeah, you know what? Actually, this is a bit more efficient and it probably does the job and maybe reduces some of the risk a little bit. So it's, uh, it's an interesting time. Nice. Well, I believe we're five minutes over. Julie, let me know if I'm um, closing. Yeah, we, um, <laughs> this has been a great conversation and I just wanna thank all of you. And um, it was just very informative and we just got another thank you. So in the chat, I don't know if any, Anyone else has any comments or questions before we wrap up? I'm looking at the chat. Well, again, thank you everybody. And thanks for um, everyone that attended as well. And we look forward to having future discussions. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone. Have a good evening. Thanks. Have a good evening. So fun. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye.